grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. So this is from the reading of the book of Nehemiah. When the Sanabot heard that we, as the Jews, were building the wall, he became angry and raged. He mocked the Jews, saying in the presence of his associates and the army of Samariah, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the piles of rubble, even though they are burned? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, added, Even a fox climbs on whatever they build, their wall of stones will crumble. We continued to build the wall. All of it was joined together, and it reached half of its intended height because the people were eager to work. But when Sanibal, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashda heard that the work on the walls was progressing and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to create a disturbance in it. So we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. But in Judah, it was said, the construction workers' strength is failing and there is too much rubble. We are unable to rebuild the wall. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know or see anything, we can be in their midst and start to kill them. We'll stop the work. I stood up and said to the officials, the officers, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember that the Holy One is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. This is a reading of the letter that Paul sent to the Philippians. If anyone else has reason to put confidence in physical advantages, I have even more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. With respect to observing the Torah, I am a Pharisee. With respect to devotion to the faith, I harass the church. With respect to righteousness under the Torah, I am blameless. These things were my assets, but I wrote them off as I a loss for the sake of Christ. But even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have lost everything for Christ. But what I lost, I think of as trash, so that I might gain Christ and be found in him. In Christ, I have a righteousness that is not my own. It doesn't come from the Torah, but rather from the faithfulness of Christ, it is the righteousness of God that is based on faith. 
The righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the participation in his sufferings. It includes being conformed to his death, so that I may perhaps reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. It is not that I have already reached this goal or have already been perfected, but I pursue it so that I may grab hold of it because Christ grabbed hold of me for just this purpose. Brothers and sisters, I myself don't think I reached it, but I do this one thing. I forget about the things behind me and reach for the things ahead of me. The goal I pursue is the prize of God's upward call in Christ Jesus. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Listening to our reading from Nehemiah, I feel immersed in the mounting climax of a thrilling TV show. The hum of stringed instruments builds an urgent frenzy as the scenes progress. The camera pans to the building site on Jerusalem's outskirts. The construction worker's strength is failing. There is too much rubble. We are unable to repair the wall. And then to a darkened room where enemies plot in secret before they know or say anything. We can be in their midst and to start to kill them, we will stop the work. And now to Nehemiah, emissary of the Persian king, rallying his people, don't be afraid of them. Remember that the Holy One is great and awesome. Fight for your families. Fight for your children. Fight for your home. Dun, 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 dun. Roll credits. What? A cliffhanger? Okay, I know that we said we would only watch one episode, but I, we need to find out what happens next. <laughs> Press play. What happens next? Oddly, nothing. Here's the very next verse. Then our enemies heard that we had found out and that God had spoiled their plans. So we all returned to doing our own work on the wall. Really? Well, yes, the construction workers repairing the city's demolished walls work with a load in one hand and a weapon in the other and the builders carry swords at their sides. But there is no epic battle between Nehemiah's Judeans and Sanballat's Samarians. Huh. The book of Nehemiah is full of surprising twists like this, as if we're meant to gasp sitting on the edge of our seats. Gasp when false prophets are hired to spook Nehemiah. Feel your heart right rise when rumors spread that the Judeans will revolt against Persia. Like a master drama, there is crossing and double crossing. And through it all, 
the Jewish residents of Jerusalem rebuild David's city. In our church's season of rebuilding community, building back beloved, such persistence sounds a steady beat. Keep going. Keep going. This book in Scripture's library makes a useful companion for us, especially when real challenges like the resurgence of COVID cases threaten to undo efforts to reestablish connections with one another and with our neighbors. We can value such companionship, such a steady beat. Keep going. Keep going. And we can pause to reassess when the narrative takes another unexpected turn. After the builders complete the wall, after the priests and the temple singers rededicate it to its holy purpose, the story seems like it should be over. The king appointed Nehemiah as governor over Judah. The Torah was read aloud to the people. It's happily ever after now, you'd think. But then in the 13th chapter, near the end of Nehemiah, there's this. On that day, when the scroll from Moses was being read to the people, they found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter God's assembly. When the people heard this law, they separated out from Israel all those of mixed descent. Oh. Oh. And then there's this. Also in those days, I saw Jewish men who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of various peoples. They couldn't speak the language of Judah. So I scolded them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I also made them swear a solemn pledge in the name of God, saying, you won't give your daughters to their sons in marriage or take their daughters in marriage for your sons or yourselves. Oh. Ugh. The challenge of enemy outsiders like Sanbalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, is it resolved then with spilled blood? Nehemiah's community sought a solution in stories about blood, restrictive stories about what it means to be God's people. It's bad enough that Nehemiah physically injures Jewish men married to non-Jewish women, but his contemporary, the priest Ezra, 
went further, demanding that all such men divorce their wives. It's not a high point in Scripture. Yet because it is Scripture, the Spirit holds this story up as a mirror for us to examine our own community. Let us tell the truth. The anxiety about identity in the book of Nehemiah is a human story. It's our story. Take a moment to acknowledge when you've witnessed this story playing out in your life. Maybe you remember unspoken family tension when a sibling or cousin started dating someone of another race. Perhaps you can recall conversations about this nation where it became clear that real Americans speak fluent English or vote a certain party. Or looking back at a community you care about, now you notice how unconscious assumptions put up barriers in front of the signs that read, all are welcome. Assumptions challenged by the neighbor who uses a wheelchair, or who works evenings, or who doesn't have childcare. Nehemiah prompts us to notice anxiety about churches closing and about guilts that we, whoever we are, are not doing enough. We might even listen for anxiety in calls for a more robust commitment, cutting the membership roles of folks who haven't worshipped here in years. That's anxiety about identity, too. Take stock of your body. How do you feel? For myself, I feel a great wave of tiredness steal over me. I wonder, is life only struggle? Only a fight about who's in and who's out? In my exhaustion, I recognize my need for a righteousness that is not my own. Thanks be to God that, that Christ has grabbed hold of me, that Christ has grabbed hold of each one of us. Thanks be that Christ reached out and wrapped loving arms around me because my mind drifts when I hear buzzwords like righteousness or faith. Christ anchors me in a reality deeper and wider than combat or clan loyalty or orthodoxy. That reality is God's love, delivering us from death to new life. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, great and awesome, as Nehemiah declared.
taking the lowest human station, becoming an enslaved worker, sharing life with all of us anxious children so that we might participate in a new way to live. Participation, remember that's one of the words that our English Bibles use to translate Paul's favorite word in Philippians, koinonia. It's through participation, through communion, through koinonia, reaching out to grasp Christ's hands, already holding us tight, that we know righteousness, rightness. But this kind of rightness is definitely different than comfortably thinking, I'm right, you're wrong. No, this kind of rightness is justice tempered by second chances. And second chances held accountable to justice. We get a glimpse of such rightness when we reach for words to help a heartbroken friend and only manage to say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Because rightness, righteousness, doesn't depend wholly on us. It is God's gift. Perhaps you have experienced this gift in a hard moment, in a vulnerable conversation. You can think of a time when the Spirit dismantled your defenses and you heard the other person's anxiety, fear, and pain. You heard your own anxiety, fear, and pain. And where judgment usually kicks in, instead the Spirit let empathy and curiosity flow. You asked a genuine follow-up question to your neighbor who doesn't want to get a coronavirus vaccine. You listened to another Christian share how they arrived at a completely different position than one that you hold. You touched the world's wounds and didn't jump to fix things. You simply sat with Christ, who loved the very same world so much that death on a cross wasn't too far to go. There is truth in Nehemiah's story. Anxiety and anger often fester into conflict. Sometimes our emotionally unhealthy neighbors sabotage and strike out against us. But that's not the whole truth. Because God rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb. If you have experienced this gift of rightness, this gift of righteousness from God, then you've also sensed the possibility of resurrection, stirring beneath the pain. For Paul, that's the goal. That's perfection, resurrection. 
The apostle knows well his own dead places. Oh, but he has felt the warmth in his chest. He's felt the lightness in his limbs. That unspeakable joy that turns to praise. There are places in scripture where ethnic identity and religious practice buzz with the charge of anxiety. It's true. But there are also places where they become open doors. The exiled community rejected their bicultural kin, but the Exodus community left Egypt with a mixed multitude of people who felt the Spirit call them to follow the God of freedom. Moabites are forbidden in Deuteronomy to assemble with God's people, but Ruth the Moabite bears a blessing to us in her own book of the Bible. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul is clear that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, he still observes the practices of the Torah as a Pharisee, no less. This community's practices can become open doors, too. Swinging open in imitation of Jesus' open arms and leading all who enter them into Christ's embrace. Dear friends, in all of our efforts to build beloved community, let Christ's faithfulness inspire our own stumbling faith. May Christ's peace calm our anxieties about having the right words to say. May we reach past the familiar handholds to touch the hands of Christ who has grabbed hold of us and for the sake of grace will never let us go. Friends, for such grace, let us give all glory and all gratitude to God. Three in one, one in three, whose image is community.